there is a small and unknown village called Siversky, about an hour away from St. Petersburg, Russia. As people get off the train and make their way through the village square, they pass by a gray-haired bearded man, shifting from one foot to another, clearly nervous. He's dressed in a white ripped jeans and a black t-shirt with foreign agent printed on the back. Anxiously, the man unrolls a poster and puts it up on a large stone in the middle of the square. Bypassers stop and snap photos. Soon, a little boy reads the poster out loud. Russians, you are not human, it says. The author of the poster is Alexander Pravdin, a local activist that has been fighting Russian propaganda for many years now, but much more fiercely since the start of the war. I am Mikhail Saburov, and you're listening to the Russian Resistance Podcast. Alexander Pravdin is 73 years old. In the past, she used to be an entrepreneur and a psychiatrist. Alexander's last name, Pravdin, shares the same root as the word truth in the Russian language. So, in an etymological sense, he's Alexander the Truthful. He was born near the town of Tomsk in the USSR. Soon after, his father, World War II veteran, was exiled to prison camps in Siberia. Alexander grew up with his mother. He studied to become a doctor and was later sent to work in a local hospital in Siversky village. He moved together with his wife, a teacher from Leningrad. My wife graduated from pedagogical college while I finished medical school. After that, she was assigned to work here as a teacher and I was appointed to work at Siversky Hospital as a doctor. That's how in 1974 I became a resident of this beautiful village. At first, I thought I would not stay here. The entire place is filled with trees and made from wood, and for me, a city dweller, it was like a nightmare. I thought I'd be finished here in three years and leave, but we had a son, and they gave us a flat, and ever since we've been living here, well, I'm not good at counting, remembering, dumbbell. Fifty years have gone by already, and many of those spent working at the regional psychiatric hospital, which housed 1,200 patients. I had become a psychiatrist, and I had also studied myself, so to speak, although maybe not thoroughly enough. Huh, why so? Because some people, when they see me fighting Putin's dictatorship, they take their finger and point it at their temple. Uh, but then I realize... I have not spent these years studying the psychology of my fellow men in vain. Alexander spent 20 years working in a psychiatric hospital until he resigned in the 90s, bought a warehouse and the surrounding land, and opened a grocery store. The business took off, and Alexander got an opportunity to move to St. Petersburg. Only he decided to stay in the village. He said he wanted to achieve something here. So, Alexander built a four-story building in Dutch Baroque style and created a square with benches and local artists' sculptures nearby. Around the same time, Alexander started to speak out against the government. I started out quite innocently. I didn't make serious claims yet. I only wanted to get the village residents uh, used to the idea that there is another opinion, so they would know that, uh, in addition to Air Force Day, there is also the BBC, 
although they are both spelt the same way in Russian, because BBC is short for Air Force. And uh, as for the posters on uh, sensitive issues, these I only began making when we had the vote to nullify the Constitution. In 2020, a referendum on amendments to the Constitution, proposed by Vladimir Putin, took place in Russia. Amongst other things, the amendments included nullifying previous presidential terms, enabling Putin to legally run for two more terms. It was phrased in a way that the limit on two presidential terms would stay intact, but the terms served before the adopted amendments would be considered void. The referendum ignited several social campaigns with the opposition fighting against the constitutional changes. Many instances of falsifications were identified during the voting, and yet the amendments were adopted. Hence, Putin could legally remain in power until 2030. Alexander also protested against the amendments. There was a statue of a crow perched on a large stone in the village square close to Alexander's shop. Alexander found some local blacksmiths and ordered a small metallic replica of the constitution that he put into the crow's beak. He also placed a metallic plaque on the stone, using it to hang his posters on. Posters such as, Coppers disgrace Russia, You're not Tsar Peter I, you're Adolf II, obviously addressed to Putin, 280 Ukrainian kids were murdered, and other statements. The police must have taken the statue of the crow down, like thieves, and destroyed it at night. They probably thought the crow disappears and the rest will follow. But I placed a stone with a plaque where the crow stood, and I hang the posters there now. And uh, while the cops try to look out for new ones appearing, as they apparently were ordered to do, I keep putting them up. The authorities strip the poster down, I hang another one up. The most important thing, however, is not pinning the poster, but taking a picture of it and posting it on the internet before someone removes the poster. People who support me upload these photos, they get banned for it, but they sign up again, and the cycle repeats. And that's how we fight against this war that uh, is not doing uh, any of us any good. Back then, my posters caught the attention of the locals and authorities, but it was not yet the time of this massive confrontation between the people and political power that we're having now. At that time, anyone could write what they wanted to. The first time I was brought to the Sovetsky police station, uh, the talk was more preventive. They threatened me with a fine and let me go. But I did not stop. This lack of understanding between me and the people in power has been going on for years. Our podcast is produced by Paper Paper an independent media company from St. Petersburg that has been reporting on the war in Ukraine despite the government repressions. In six months, the government blocked our main website, as well as over 38 of our mirror domains. If you're enjoying our podcast, please subscribe so you don't miss the future episodes and consider donating to support our work. The link is in the description. Recently, Alexander was accused of ethnic hatred for making a poster saying, Russians, you're not human. He first got a call seemingly from the FSB, Russian FBI, who warned him against making more posters. They told him he got reported for ethnic abuse and that this is his last warning. Later, as Alexander recalls, he and his wife went over to the police station after being asked to do so by the officers. Only when they arrived, 
The police asked Alexander's wife to leave the station. She got worried that Alexander could be harmed and refused. Then, according to Alexander, the officers pepper sprayed her in the eyes. Alexander himself ended up in a hospital with hypertensive crisis. The war had started, and now an open confrontation followed. Suddenly writing about anything but the war on the posters didn't make sense. Nothing else would be read. Those who support me expect me to tell the truth. Those who don't, line up to tear the posters down. July 27th, they took me to the police, which caused, uh, to put it mildly, uh, some dismay among the locals, because each and every one of them knows me. I had worked as a doctor, and I had run my own business here. To my surprise, many of them supported me. They may have been wrong in that, though. Afterwards, they would hear all kinds of things that uh, other people thought about them. My supporters told me, well, at least don't hang up the posters yourself. Send someone else to do it. And I listened to his advice. I remember one uh, naive guy who said, your poster that I pinned was taken down 15 minutes later. I explained to him that that was a lot. When I go there, sometimes they're already waiting for me, ready to compete to see who will be the first to take it down. There were days when I barely mounted a poster and they would tear it down without even reading it. That's how acute the situation was. But now there are people the administration designates to take turns and guard the stone. Siversky villagers have different opinions on the war. In Alexander's interview for Paper Paper, he said that his posters provide an outlet for people's anger, caused by both the support of the war and the opposition to it. In Siversky, I'm the only one to paint anything in blue and yellow, the colors of the Ukrainian flag. I painted my flower beds in the square in these colors, but the governor was supposed to come here, and so the city had them repainted in gray, which they use for the symbol Z. Initially, when I began making these posters, they were not perceived well by hardly anyone. We have many people here who welcome the war. I used to talk with them. They knew my position. Uh, they were waiting for the war to happen. They were preparing for it. And still, it came as a shock for them, too. Despite that shock of the first few days of the war, they actually suggested I drink with them to the capture of Kiev. Now, I constantly remind them about that. And another thing is uh, that I got to know what goes on in their heads. And uh, believe me, and I feel strongly about this, it will not end well for those who unleashed this war. My only real worry is that they have stolen the future of this country I live in. And apparently they've stolen Europe's also, and the rest of the world's, because this could result in a nuclear catastrophe. Everyone up there is my age already. They've all gone through such personality changes that adequate uh, reactions are not something one could expect from them. I know what I'm talking about. There won't be any good from them. No critical behavior either. People like these uh, won't be discharged from a hospital, but they will be forced to keep undergoing uh, ongoing treatment.
Alexander was calling me from his Dutch Baroque house. Even though he was inside, Alexander was dressed in a warm coat. The court wrote to turn off the electricity and heating in the building. A few years ago, the building housed the shopping center. Alexander would rent out the space commercially. But in September of 2021, the court decided to demolish the building. Alexander thinks the decision is the result of his long-lasting feud with local authorities. They were always against Alexander's business ventures. Alexander also had to stop midway building a hotel next to the Dutch Baroque house. The court would set the construction for demolition as well. It's now been a year since the ruling. All the tenants were required to vacate, leaving Alexander with no income. It so happens that I've become one of the few people in the village to free the locals of some of their misconceptions. Well, they started treating me unkindly, and that's fine. I'll get over it. Besides, there's not much I can do about it. I just have to make it through. Even when it hurts me that they take my property away and tell me to stop making the posters, and then they will return my buildings uh, these people have no shame, no honor, no conscience. And by the way, some of them don't in fact support the war, but to maintain their vested interests, they will pretend and publicly endorse it. And they are the worst of the worst, people who get hold of the feeding trough. But they will all change their colors eventually. There has emerged a stratum of people in this country that will adopt to any kind of power. They, tomorrow, they will be told that uh, today's politics was wrong, and they will be all for it, claiming that they had been forced to embrace the regime. Alexander knows about supporting whatever government firsthand. He lived through many presidents, from the USSR to modern Russia. The only one he warmly remembers, though, was the first and last president of the USSR, Mikhail Gorbachev, who is still a controversial figure for Russian historians. Some point out that he introduced the first independent media and real competitive elections, while others blame him for the USSR dissolution. Gorbachev died late August 2022. We have no presidents to brag about except Mikhail Gorbachev. The litmus test? I recently put up a portrait of Gorbachev saying that he destroyed the USSR and liberated Europe, and I placed some flowers there. The reaction, the people of our village began to fight on local internet forums, arguing over it for the next couple of days. It became clear to me that this had been building up all this time, for 30 years. The Russians were given a freedom pill to swallow, the doors flung open for them, and they rejected the offer. Yet they could not spit the pill out then. They have spat it out now. And finally they are saying they don't want it, and that we should go back and live as we did in the USSR. And why would we even need democracy? When Putin came to power, I realized that no matter what, this smells like a dictatorship. Twenty years later, it could not end in anything but war. First, Stalin died on my watch. Then Khrushchev, Brezhnev, Yeltsin. And this time around, it's Putin's turn to die. I often ask my parents, who are just a little younger than Alexander, what their friends say about the war, and more specifically about the newly taken course at the USSR version 2.0. With a youth program similar to communist pioneers, 
getting rid of international educational system and such. To my and my parents' surprise, many are truly excited going back to the past, claiming that that was the time when people were kind, the standards of education were top, and the kids actually spoke to each other instead of staring at their phones. Alexander, as well as my parents, remember the Soviet times differently. I have not in particular encountered people here who liked those times. Things were not so good in the USSR. Not proper clothes, not food. Uh, to buy oranges for a sick child, I had to take a train, a commuter train, an hour and a half to the city and stand in a queue just to buy oranges. There were queues for everything, clothes, cars, refrigerators. If someone's dreaming of bringing it all back, they're sick. They must have forgotten what it's like. You couldn't go anywhere. You couldn't buy anything. There was nepotism, party allowances. Even though I lived through a time when there were no wars or persecutions, it was not normal living. Salaries were miserable. There was wage leveling. You work well, you earn 120 rubles. You don't, it's still the same 120 rubles. People had no incentive to work. They just drank. A lot. So, maybe those who like to get hammered need to be back in the USSR after all. Alexander's family currently supports him financially since he can't continue with his business in the village anymore. With his current life being almost an archetypal image of an individual against the political machine, I had to ask him why he carries on, living and fighting in the country that is clearly looking for ways to destroy his life. I had given it lots of thought, and despite people attempting to scare me or pat me on the back and say, cut it, you won't succeed anyway, I decided I did not have to agree with that. Instead, I explained to them that that is a road that leads to nowhere. Sometimes I have my doubts. So I ask myself, what are you doing? You're fool. They're giving you a hard time. They take everything from you. They take your property. They beat your wife at the police station. But now, no, I won't give up. These posters are my weapon, and I'm not leaving. I just can't give up on this crazy business of mine. I won't. They may frighten me, uh, and whatever they decide to take away from me, and they will take it, because already we've had a harsh encounter. But all they do is threaten me. And the only thing is that many people in this village know me, and it may be uncomfortable for them. But today is day 195 of the war. And many have grown to realize that something has gone wrong. I've started noticing that people approach me stealthily, not pointedly, and shake my hand, saying I was right. That's very important for me. And that's why I keep on with this thing with posters. But it is difficult, of course. Even though Alexandra feels that the local support for his views grows slowly, but gradually, he got much more cautious with strangers over these six months. He simply doesn't know what to expect. So while it's not 1937, I have packed my suitcase with my underwear and warm socks, uh, waiting for the authorities to come take me with my suitcase prepared. It's definitely a weird time. All right, Vatniks lived back then, but my colleagues, 
psychiatrists. Uh, they are supportive of the war too. And I thought they should understand who's ill and who's healthy. But this disease, as it turns out, affects even the ordinary folk, not just the rulers. I would like to say they will get well and become critical about what's happening. I hope to see that in my lifetime. Alexander mentioned that he's seen people from his village go through three stages over the course of the war, from shock to overwhelming hatred and support of the war, to confusion, and even a rare admittance that he was right. A few weeks ago, 70 municipal politicians from St. Petersburg, Moscow, and 33 other municipalities signed a collective letter demanding Vladimir Putin to resign on the grounds of treason. It would hardly lead to anything but repressions of the Sinese by the authorities, yet they stand by their views and understand the risks. Is there hope that Russia would be free in the future? Alexander seems to think so. I believe Russia will be free. All illnesses pass. I wouldn't be doing this otherwise. I would have left the country. I believe that we have more mentally healthy people than not, and they will get this country back in proper shape. It won't be soon, however. I don't know if I will ever get to see that, but I think you will. And I believe you will do everything you can to turn it into a normal country. The situation is insane, if you ask me. They should understand that a normal country wants to be free, shouldn't they? Freedom for the athletes to compete in the Olympics, to play football. Freedom for people, people to enjoy their lives and watch others live theirs. None of this exists now. It ought to be brought back and... Then we'll get to see our team taking part in the World Cup. They might perform poorly, but we will be rooting for them. I want freedom. Freedom of not being afraid to speak and say what I think. And now they have taken everything away from us. This uh, turned out to be a somber interview, didn't it? Maybe it's uh, best not to share my sadness with others. Originally, I planned a different monologue to wrap up season one of Russian Resistance, a more hopeful one. At the time I'm recording this, the war has been going on for 216 days. On the 21st of September, six days ago, Vladimir Putin announced partial mobilization aiming to conscript 300,000 Russians and send them over to Ukraine. With the annexation of occupied Ukrainian territories on the horizon, the war is bound to escalate, taking the lives of many more thousands on both sides. I've never felt more betrayed by my country than six months ago. And yet, people like Alexander give me hope. They clearly show that there is good in my culture, in my people, and that we must resist to preserve it. Generalization and dehumanizing others became almost a norm in the modern world, and I feel responsible to play my part in reversing this dangerous trend. I'd like to finish this episode with a quote. I wish it need not have happened in my time, said Frodo. So do I, said Gandalf. And so do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. This was season one of the Russian Resistance. 
please subscribe, donate and share with your friends. We have many more stories to bring you and I truly hope by the time I'll be recording season 2, we would speak about the war in the past tense.